You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. As we record this episode, it's almost Christmas time, and we've got a lengthy interview with one of the co-hosts of the popular podcast, The Bigfoot Show, documentarian and comedian Scott Harriet. Ben Radford and I have a long chat about Scott's thoughts on the field of Bigfoot study, his own Bigfoot sighting, and the relationship between skeptics and Bigfoot proponents. I do want to address one thing first. I got a lot of mail requesting that we do an episode on the Krampus. I wish we had time to do that this year, but we were just too busy. I'd want to research the folklore, find an expert who could tell us about the history of the creature. There's so much to cover. It would be easier to do these shows if we could just ring up the monsters and talk to them, wouldn't it? I wonder what that would be like. Listeners have been crying out for Monster Talk's coverage of one of the most feared monsters of Europe, the demonic assistant to Santa Claus known as the Krampus. Here in America, we get stories of a benevolent Santa Claus bringing toys to all the good children, and bad children, at the worst, are given a lump of coal and left to puzzle out why Santa has such a terrible eco-footprint. But in the shadow of Europe's Alps, there's another legend, a darker side to Christmas. There... As Santa comes with toys and treats for good children, he's accompanied by the frightening creature known as the Krampus, a terrifying demon bedecked in chains and bells who carries a sack and a whip. And where Santa gives toys, the Krampus gives lashes. And if that's not enough, the worst children are thrown into a sack and carried away. Joining us now on Monster Talk is the Krampus. Merry Christmas. Oh. Hello, and welcome to Monster Talk. So, you're the Krampus. How long have you been working with Santa Claus? Oh, forever. I've been working these uh, winter solstice holidays since uh, the people were first belched out from the Earth's womb and came to live in the shadow of the mountains. Fascinating. So you actually predate Santa Claus? Of course. He's only been famous since, what, the uh, 1800s? Uh, it was natural for him to want to ride my coattails until he could establish himself. Huh. I have to say I didn't expect that. Um, does it bother you that Santa Claus has become more famous? Oh, no, 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 no. Not at all. In uh, your America, he's uh, quite famous. But uh, here in Europe, I'm involved in some uh, very enjoyable festivals during early December. Uh, I am uh, I am a little more famous than him over here in Europe. I am uh, sort of like the uh, the funky bunch to his Maggie Mark. Wow, 
Yes. The, the Funky Bunch is more famous in Europe than in America. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's true. Let me tell you a joke. You say, the Funky Bunch are coming to town. I think I am going to buy tickets. This is an old German joke. Okay, I'm ready. The Funky Bunch are coming to town. I think I'll buy some tickets. You cannot. It's sold out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't understand German humor. It's very funny here in Germany. Anyway, uh, Santa's a good fellow, but uh, he never forgets where he came from. Without me and my vips and my chains, what would he be? Confusing. That's what. My uh, my punishments and my frightening aspects give, uh, give him some context. I see. Um, do your festivals whip up a lot of Christmas enthusiasm? I do not like your puns. I'd leather you didn't speak in such a way. <laughs> do you see what I did there? Yeah, yes. Do you see? I, yes. Do you see? Uh, You're yes. very afraid of me. A little bit. Okay, moving on. So you have a bag for the worst children. What do you do with that? Well, uh, let me correct you. I have a sack. Mm, mm. Okay. I, I put the very worst children in the sack and uh, drag them off to hell where I devour them alive. But that, that's terrible. Uh, perhaps. But uh, keep in mind that these are the very worst children. Uh, these are the children who disobey their parents, uh, don't put their toys away, uh, don't help out around the house. You say, hey, pick up your skateboard, and they're like, I'm not going to do that, and then they, they give you a finger. And, and you see, these kinds of children will not be missed. Oh, okay. In that case, um, well, tell me more about your festivals. Well, it's a usual thing. Men dress in fur suits with uh, fantastic long curved horns and uh, march down the street with whips, uh, whipping spectators who gather around fires drinking hot punch. Uh, there is smoke, uh, the sounds of whips, bells, chains. Uh, you know, it's very Christmassy. Wow. I mean, just wow. I, I, I tell you, I can't believe people don't do that here in America. Oh, but they do, they do. These festivals are becoming more and more popular every year. I look forward to a day when my power stretches across the waters of the... I mean, uh, I mean to a, a day when uh, the true story of Christmas is spread all across the world. Uh, uh, okay. Okay, well, thanks for coming on to Monster Talk to talk about yourself, Mr. Krampus. One final question we'd like to ask all our guests... What's your favorite monster? Oh, I did not expect that question. Oh, I suppose it would have to be that uh, fat monster from the Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah. Slimer. I love that little green ghost. No, 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 no. Not Slimer. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, 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 Dan Aykroyd. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster.
today we're, we're talking with Scott Harriet. Let me tell you that I first uh, saw Scott on Tech TV a long time ago. Um, I used to watch Tech TV a lot before it disappeared. I occasionally would see you on the screensavers, and yep. I want to say it was either the screensavers or Unscrewed, where you came on and mentioned that you had a, a, a Bigfoot documentary. And yeah, I think at that yeah at that time I had done um, one called Squatching. Yep, that's uh, the one at Amazon.com. Okay, <laughs> um, which also has, by the way, Journey Towards Squatchdom, which was a mockumentary I made. I mean, as someone who does think that it's probable that these things exist, um, much like you guys on the other side of the fence, uh, at times I get fed up with the guys who come in. I've had eighteen sightings, and he lives in my shed. You know, I just so I wanted to have a little fun with those guys who I felt gave the phenomena, um, you know, too much crackpotism. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what Journey Towards Squatchism is, along with Squatching. It's a steal at nineteen ninety nine. We'll put a link in the show notes too. Oh, awesome! Thanks, guys. That's awesome. And um, the reason uh, what happened then later on in life, uh, I started this monster talk podcast and very early on some people suggested that we have uh one of you from the bigfoot show on to sort of talk about the show yeah and um i didn't get around to it and then earlier this year i started uh listening to the show and i thought well that's not a bad idea that's how you got invited so maybe you can tell us how did you get involved with bigfoot in the first place wow that's a good question um i was captured by one when i was three no um, I think like a lot, a lot of kids, a lot of kids, um, uh, in the sixties, I'm, I'm 52. Um, you know, there was the, the talk of the Patterson film, which by the way, I think is in all strong probability a hoax. If you've listened to the, if you, I, if you listen to the Bigfoot, you, you I, I hammer that home ad nauseum. Um, but, uh, I actually, if I could pinpoint it to one thing, it was probably a book one of John Green's book that my dad bought me called The Year of the Sasquatch. And I found just kind of John's, I felt, you know, just documentation of these, you know, alleged encounters dating back into the 1800s and the Native American stories. And it, I found it compelling. And then I remember years later, I'd always been kind of interested in it on, for, for many different reasons, anthropologically, sociologically, um, psychotically. And, um, I, I was curious at one point, there was a story on CNN in the mid-80s uh, about a report in the Southern Sierra. I said, oh, I have Bigfoot. I wonder what's going on in that thing. And I, I, was, I was curious. I went to my science library at, at the university I had gone to. And I was just curious if there was any actual books on, on the phenomena. And there was Green's Sasquatch, the Apes Among Us. And that kind of blew me away. There's this 565-page book. And I read the whole thing. And I thought, well, that's pretty, that's pretty darn interesting. So... Kind of since then, I've been pretty hooked on it. Uh, as mentioned, I, uh, yeah, I lean toward it. But like you guys, or any others of a skeptical bent, uh, I would agree fully that the, the argument via strong physical evidence is weak at best. What, what compels me is something that happened to me in 1992, along with the sheer volume of sightings dating back to the 1800s in the Pacific Northwest area. Whether or not they exist elsewhere, I don't know. Um, or I, 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 yeah, I kind of, I've talked to some people who've allegedly had some encounters, find them interesting, but having spent a lot of time in the Pacific Northwest, British Columbia, 
Oregon, Washington, Northwest California. Um, I'm, I'm, and this is where the thing had happened to me in 92. Um, I'm short of scientific verification. I'm pretty damn convinced that there's something to it. Good night. That's our show. Thanks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Have fun, guys. Now, you saw something in 1992. What, what do you think you saw? Well, God, I mean, do you want, do you want me to do – because it's hard to kind of condense the story um, without begging questions, but I'll, I'll do my damnedest. Okay. Uh, I was interested there – were, there were some people who were investigating this phenomena in the early 90s. Uh, and I'm sure Ben knows about this, you know, where, where the advent of call blasting had mm-hmm. come in. And YouTube, like, as well. You know, this idea that, well, maybe if we blast – um, uh, gorilla cries or other higher primate cries into the wild, along with some purported Sasquatch screams. Perhaps something would find it interesting, come investigate, something might answer black, back, blah, blah, blah. So um, I called a small town of Willow Creek in Northwest California, kind of known as an alleged Bigfoot area, along with it, not to mention, and, and oddly enough, it's a, uh, you know, has a lot of businesses with the name Bigfoot involved as well. Hmm. Um and I talked to the lady at, at the um, at the information booth there, and I wanted to know um, if there were any mule or horse packers in the area that would be willing to take someone like myself back, dump me off for a few weeks in some of these areas where there have been these alleged encounters where I could do some of this experimentation. And she said, no, nah, I don't know of anybody who does that. She goes, but it is weird that you're asking me about Bigfoot because I don't get a lot of Bigfoot questions. And I go, why is that weird? And she says, well, this guy called here yesterday because he knew of kind of the reputation of Willow Creek. And he was very emotional, very bent out of shape, saying that his son and his son's friend had just come back out of the woods and had claimed to see this approximately six foot tall, uh, whitish, grayish, whitish man-like thing staring at them. And they were freaking out and blah, blah, blah. Um, I was able to get in contact with the father, talk to him for about a half hour, and what I came away from that from that phone call was that I was fairly convinced of that the kids had probably seen something big, probably alive that they couldn't explain, whether it was Bigfoot or not. But based on the description, it was meeting what the typical Bigfoot description was. So I had a few days off. I drive up there, take a buddy of mine up with me, a skeptic, I might add. And we interviewed these kids and we interviewed them separately. And was surprised to find, well, not surprised because I kind of felt there was maybe perhaps something to it, but their stories lined up, really. There were no contradictions. They were saying, in essence, that they were looking for snakes. The 12-year-old kid looked up, and he said about 100 feet away, up on the bankment, in full view, not like lurking behind a tree or next. It was the only thing down around its knees, allegedly, around its feet, were, uh, were ferns, and it was very muscular, they said, and it was uh, like a man, but clearly not a man. And its uh, only movement was a slight arm movement. And so, you know, we were trying to trip the kids up when we interviewed, and they seemed very believable. I mean, they just seemed like this kid's not lying. This other kid's not lying. Didn't seem like they were lying. So that added another, okay, that's that's kind of interesting. So. Um, have I lost you yet? I'm sorry. Nope. It, builds, it gets better and better, I, I think. No, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> so did I mention we were on pe- peyote at the time? No. No, that you, that you didn't mention that. Okay, no, but we were. But the kids anyway. were, right? So um, we um, went to where they said this thing was standing. And there were some interesting indentations where uh, in the foliage there. But, you know, unless you have, you know, really definitive uh, like toe prints 
which would still not prove it was a Bigfoot. Somebody could have hoped something like that. There's a lot you can find in the forest that people would, could say, oh, well, that's a big, well, we, when in fact we don't know what it is. But still, they were pretty, both of these kids were compelling. So I had to go back home, back to L.A. I kept in contact with the father about what, if anything, to do next as far as follow-up. Now, the, where this happened was right at the base of this very steep, gnarly, densely vegetated hill that just goes up and up and up and up. And so we decided, look, if there's something to the kid's story, you could tell from down below in uh, the floor of this valley, you could look up and see where this old logging road um, still existed. And because the hill had been logged approximately about 20, 25 years earlier and all this underbrush had grown up. So we figured, look, if there's something to the kid's story, perhaps there's some footprint evidence up on these, this old, these old, old road or roads, which hadn't probably been driven on in many, many years. So Daryl, the father, finds out that this area that extends back we find out there's actually some barbed wire, intermittent barbed wire at the base of the hill near where the kids said this thing was standing. And we found out this older couple owned this property that extended back for miles. Very, very wild. And so we decided we would go to them and ask them for permission and just tell them straight up what the kids had, had told us. So we go there, we tell the lady, and she looks at us and she goes, oh, yeah, we know they're there. Like, matter-of-factly, like she's talking about a coffee table in front of her. So that was another, hmm, okay. Like, well, have you ever seen one? No, we've lived here 35 years. We have two friends. They were either Yurok or Hoopa Native Americans who said they each had a sighting, a road sighting at night, one crossing in front. So that was another, okay. So that was kind of interesting. So, well, we want to go up this hill and look on this road. Now, we didn't tell them when we were going to be going up. They said, you can go up anytime. All we ask is, you know, don't bring a ton of people don't bring any firearms, but you're more the very, very cool country folks. I, I have a question. Yeah, so yes, sir. You said they, they lived there for 30 or 35 years. They had never seen it, but they yet they knew they were there. How did they know they were there if they'd never seen it? Well, I agree that stating it in a, um, in, in a definitive sense that they knew, but they felt, I mean, she felt they were there because she found those two people credible. But I would agree there was, there was no direct eyewitnessing from them. It right. was just that what she said... Um, added another layer of credibility for me as someone, right. you know, so, um, so we go up the hill and we start up there and it's, it's a gnarly, very steep hill. And, uh, I bring my high eight camera. If you guys remember high eight from the early nineties, uh, and Daryl actually had a VHS camera where you actually load the VHS in the side of the, uh, of the camera. Classic. Old school. Yeah. Old yeah, school. Old, dude, old school. Hernia inducing. So we start up and I, I don't recall actually talking to Daryl about this. I'm sure he probably felt the same way. I know I did. We, we both felt, or I felt, assuming he felt this way, that, you know, that we're not going to see anything. If you told me you saw a bear at point A and I go back a few weeks later, probably not going to see the bear. I mean, I may keep, I'm going to be keeping an eye out because, you know, I believe there somebody said there was a bear. I'm going to keep an eye out. But so we're going up this hill, and it's very, as I mentioned, it's, it's, it's uh, thankfully very mulchy, so you can dig your feet in, and huge ferns where you pull yourself, very rainforesty. And it takes us about an hour and a half, two hours, to get to the top, this an apex, actually it's kind of several hills kind of contoured together, where there is this large, I believe it's a Douglas fir, well over 100 feet tall. 
And we, that was kind of our beacon as we headed up because the undergrowth of the stuff was, was really, really dense. So we get to this tree. And at that point, the, the hill begins to level off a bit, a little bit, kind of starts a little bit of a ridge heading toward where we know these roads are. And about 60 feet past this tree, just getting ready to head into some really, really dense vegetation, uh, I notice about 40 feet up ahead of me this darkness, which is low down, part of which is shadowing caused by a big old tree that had fallen and the shadowing underneath it was there. So it just caught my eye relative to the, to the greenery. And then I noticed in this darkness what appeared to be two pretty big brown eyes looking out of it at me. Now, the first thing I'm thinking, well, this, there's no real squatch alarm going on because it's low, right? But whatever this is seems pretty big. And... It just doesn't move for about 30 seconds, and then it starts to slowly sway back and forth, like really about maybe moving inch one way and inch another way. So it's clearly an animal. It's moving. <clears throat> Videotape this, and for 10 minutes, we're sitting there looking at this thing and trying to figure out what it is because it's back at shadow. You're really only getting the reflection off the eyes. You see little dap bits of light reflecting off what would be its face, I was pretty convinced, having done a lot of backpacking, um, after about a minute, pretty convinced it was not a bear. A bear would have been gone super fast. Bears don't check you out, especially bears in Northern California. It didn't have the eye set of a cougar, and yet it seemed still pretty big. But again, it's relatively low. So we're sitting there, and I'm taping it, and we're, you know, just kind of, what the hell are we going to do? We weren't really feeling scared or apprehensive at this at this point. So we decide, well, what the hell? After about 10 minutes, let's move toward this thing. Well, we take one, perhaps two steps toward this, whatever it was. And God and or Brahman or the void is my witness. The eyes of this animal gave off, coupled with what I think was a dilation of the eyes, this weird ass red glow. And I mean, like, there were two, as though there were two lit cigarettes in the back of the head of this thing, and somebody was inhaling simultaneously. It was just this very reddish, and it happened twice in about 10 seconds, and it was very odd. And it were you, was, um, yeah. Did you have a light on your camera? No, this was, this was 2.30 in the afternoon, filtered sunlight coming down through the canopy of uh, largely rhododendron. It, it was it was fairly light, but again, whatever this was, it was shadowed underneath this tree. So, but this red, I mean, it really did appear like bioluminescence. It really mm-hmm. looked red. I mean, it, another example I'd give, you know, when you're sitting in a darkened movie theater and you see how red the exit sign is, about, I'd say about 60% of that intensity. So it was mm-hmm. really red and it didn't, it didn't look to me like when I've seen eyes shine from a deer on the road at night or a dog or a cat. It wasn't like a glint. It was like, and thankfully it didn't make that noise. But it, it happened twice. And then at that point, um, the plausibility for me that this might, in fact, be one of these things increased somewhat substantially based on the fact that people have, rightly or wrongly, correctly or incorrectly, have reported this odd red eye glow associated with these alleged animals. It, it's somewhat pervasive in the in, in the record of sightings. 
not tons of it. I would say, I don't know, maybe 15, 20% of sightings some, re, re, report this, especially people who've been close, report this weird red eye glow. So that, it was creepy enough. Whether this is Bigfoot or not, it was creepy. It was just like, okay, let's stop. What are we going to do now? Well, we didn't want to go any farther because we didn't, what does the red mean? Is it pissed off? Is it scared? So I thought, well, if I go down to the right, like we were basically right next to each other, Daryl, and there's a lot of stuff in between us and this thing, whatever it is. But you could see it through an, an opening through the vegetation. I figured if we go, if I go to the right and Daryl goes to the left, perhaps whatever this thing is might think that we're trying to surround it. And as a result, it might get up out of that log, reveal itself. We get video when you find out what it is. So I get about 15 feet down to the right of Daryl. Daryl, as he told me later, tried to go left, but it was so dense, he said it was like a, a wall there too much. So he actually, I actually think he was a little scared. To, he turned back to his right and started heading toward me. And again, I'm approximately 15 feet away from him when I hear him suddenly just kind of going, huh, okay, uh, excuse me now. And he, I look back at him and he's holding up his camera and he's obviously taping something, this time not down at the ground, but up in the air. And he's pointing with his finger. I can see him. And he's clearly shaken up. This stuff we were in, this vegetation, was so thick that if you move three or four feet from your point A and you move to point B, you can't see what you just saw. So, again, I'm roughly 15 feet away from him. So I don't know mm-hmm. what the hell he, it is he's seeing. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to calm him down because he's pointing with his finger. Uh, excuse me if I'm crying at this moment. It's right here. Blah, blah, blah. He says that he tapes for about 30 seconds. The camera goes limp in his hand and then he starts crying. He looks at me and tears in his eyes. He's whispering. I've moved up a little closer to him, probably six feet. But he is not literally, thankfully. But he's, he goes, it's right there. He's like, it's right. Standing right there, blah, blah, blah. And I go, what is it? I go, it's right. I can't, you know, and he goes, this thing or whatever. And. Now I'm getting scared and I'm just trying to calm myself down, calm him down. And I'm like, well, <clears throat> okay. The rational side of my brain is going, well, he apparently just taped something. We have no pepper spray. We have no gun. We don't know what exactly it is. I have no idea what exactly is going on here, but he just taped something for about 30 seconds. Discretion being the better part of valor. Why don't we get the hell off this hill? Mm-hmm. So we start down the hill. We'd stop, we'd go down a bit, stop, listen, didn't hear anything come after, stop, listen, go back. So I'm really anxious to see this videotape. Get get down to the bottom, pop the videotape in. And based on his reaction, I'm expecting to see something kind of blatantly there. And if I recall correctly, I'm pretty close to the TV. And <clears throat> I play it, and I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm looking, there's a lot of foreground vegetation, there's foreground, uh, background vegetation. Luckily... A lot. It's it's kind of a still life. There was no wind on that on that hill. This will come in into play in just a little bit. Why this was important, but it's just all this these ferns and stuff. And I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? I'm like, da, 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 da. so I watch it through. Then I rewind it and I freeze it, and then I step back from the TV. I get about ten feet away from the TV and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden I'm like, holy crap! And I actually remember looking down to my right and telling myself, be objective. Be objective. Be objective. Don't roar shark this thing. Yes, we're in investigating an alleged Sasquatch report. Yes, I'm interested in this phenomena. Yes, I think these things are probably true. That said, be objective as possible. I look back at this image, 
and roughly, I would say, 30, 35 feet where he's pointing the camera, sticking out of the side of this huge rhododendron plant is what appears to be a huge ash, uh, Schwartz-Nagrian, mountain-gorillian, whitish upper arm just hanging out to the side. So you, now, you have you have so you have video of this? Yes, yes. There's it, 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 you know, in fact, Ben, I, I would hate to say you know, and it's available on Squatching, and it, yeah, and it, but I will send <laughs> you a free copy because okay. I I respect you or anyone who who uh, uh, you know applies the scientific method, which they always did. And by the way, scientifically, as evidence, this is 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 worthless. I I think because what can, how can you prove it's a, a person as opposed to not a person? There's all this stuff, but. Sure. I mean, right. How do we know it's not just a well-armed rhododendron? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that is the best line I've ever heard pertaining to the rhododendron in this story. But, um, anyway, Ben, I'll, I'll send you that. Sure. So, um, so, again, I'm looking at it and, again, trying to analyze it at the same time. It's like, okay, well, what does it look like? It looks, you know, on like on a mountain gorilla or a, uh, an orangutan, the deltoid muscle in the upper arm really bulges out, right? They kind of really stick out. And this object really sticks out in that shape. Our glass is down to kind of a bicep, tricep. To If you're looking at the point of view of the camera, you see like a darkness, which would be kind of like just below the armpit, and then the beginning of what would be the torso, same color as the arm, but then it's the thick rhododendron bush. Now, this arm, if in fact it's an arm, is not hanging all the way down. It's bent at the elbow. So what you have for sure in this is an object. You can clearly see the object. I would pretty, you could pretty much estimate it's about two and a half, three feet long and probably, you know, seven, eight inches wide. And again, with this general shape of like an upper arm. So having seen that on there and trying to uh, apply reason as much as possible going, okay, well, let's test this. If that is an upper arm, then it would stand to reason that if you go from the tip of that purported shoulder up into the left, about 45 degrees, there should be something, however obscured, resembling a head, correct? Especially if you would think so. You would think so. Well, you go up and behind two or three at approximately six feet tall, I would estimate given Daryl's height behind two thin rhododendron branches, there is this chrome domey, same color as the upper arm head-shaped object, but right about where the brow is, which appears to be protruding. And again, I mean, you'll have to see it for yourself. And again, obviously, and anybody listening, don't take my word for it. And that's not a plug for the film. I'm just saying um, from where the brow ridge is down around the face, it's black. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just black. So you've got this very chrome domey and it's contiguous with this alleged upper arm. You can't see the connecting, if there is a connecting shoulder or, you know, shoulder blade or whatever, because the plant is there. So then we look, okay, so that, I'm looking at the video, okay, okay, there is this thing that looks like a head same color as the arm. Now I'm looking for movement. And this is what I alluded to earlier about the plants not moving, is that I'm going to be focusing, when I watch this again, just focus on this alleged head and see if it moves. Because when you watch the video, you can see none of the the plants move at all because it's just still. It's a still day. You play the tape, and twice in that 
actually, I think it's 29 seconds, this purported head tilts out not only once, but goes back again, holds for eight seconds, and then tilts out again. And now I'm understanding a little better Daryl's responses, because when I was standing there 15 feet away, he says, like, huh, uh, uh, I mean, he's, like, reacting to something. And now, coupled with seeing the video now, I'm understanding what he was saying. So, or at least what was happening with the movement. I got interviewed on sightings about this, about this video. And I remember when they were looking at the video, the, the, the guy, the initial, he was some German dude. And he goes, he goes, well, you know, if the camera is moving a bit, it can give the illusion that the object is moving. And I knew what he was talking about because if the camera's moving, it can give that illusion that an object is moving in the foreground or in the background. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he was also like ultra skeptical. And I, and, and he's right. That can't happen. But, just from a common sense point of view, when you walk it, watch it, it's pretty clear whatever that is is moving by itself. But he had some kind of software where he something where you use the edge of the video, and they could run parameters to determine whether or not that object is moving by himself. So he runs this test, and I remember, I remember he had to be somewhat defeated. He goes, "Well, whatever it is, it's moving by itself. <laughs> so not that it means it's Bigfoot or anything, but it he whatever it was, right? Yeah, whatever it was. So we went back the next day with two other people. There was where the eyes were. Um, there was nothing there. Uh, the next day as would be the case with any animal, but we went about 20 feet, I would say past where the shoulder head object was through extremely thick, literally on our hands and knees vegetation. And we found uh, what was clearly some type of nest what made it? I don't know, but it was clearly matted down. It was approximately 25 feet long, 15 feet wide. We crawled into it, looked around. It reminded me quite a bit of like gorilla's nests, had that kind of look to it. And mm-hmm. again, top of the hill, a prime defensive position is kind of where mountain gorillas hang out. And as you sit in it, you could see at the bottom of it where everything had been matted down. Some of the vegetation appeared to be it was disturbed, like in this wall of vegetation, it, it kind of circular as though something or things had been crawling in and out. And if you went straight through that hole and down slightly to the right, that's where the eyes were. And if you went out straight, uh, straight out of it and then slightly to the left, that's where the shoulder head was. We mm-hmm. went up close to where the log was. And in my opinion, having gotten close to that log and being right up on it, I don't think, what Daryl got on video, the shoulder head thing, which was, again, approximately six feet tall, could have fit down there. It just didn't. It seemed too small of an area. But something about the size of a chimp could have fit down there. So it's I mean, I know it's This must drive the skeptics crazy when you say somebody has a sighting. But honestly, having been there, considered all other possibilities, I honestly think, in, in all strong probability that there were not one, but two of these things there that day. But and I, so it, it, yeah, I if, if it was a nest, then uh, presumably there would be maybe some hair or scattered DNA. Well, there. yeah, there was. In fact, uh, the day we went up, there was some hair actually found. And there was a guy. And again, you can check this. And, and I don't know is, you know, if he's considered a crackpot or not, but Daryl and I got interviewed on the ancient mystery show, which was, um, they did a, a show on Bigfoot. This was like 94, I think it came out. Mm-hmm, I have that. Yeah. Okay, if you look on it, 
Well, there's two things about it I want to tell you. The first thing is the hairs that we found that day were given to a guy, a gentleman named Sterling Bunell. I don't know if you know him. I, he's, apparently, he's, he's a, a primatologist, and he lives somewhere in the Bay Area. I, I did verify that there is a Sterling Bunell who is a pr- primatologist who lives in San Francisco. Whether, he, again, he's a crackpot or not, I don't know. But he gave a report on these hairs, and this is what he said. And, again, it was a morpholo- morphological analysis. It wasn't, it wasn't genetic. So, again, scientifically, it's just this one guy's opinion. He said that the internal structure of the hair was very similar to samples of chimpanzee and mountain gorilla hairs that he had. He said similar yet distinguishable. So, again, for whatever that's worth, there's that guy's opinion. Were these hairs that you collected or someone else? Um, I found, I think, one, maybe two. Daryl found a few of them, and I don't remember how many there were. It was got 19, Jesus Christ, 19 years ago. Yeah. The, well, uh, the reason I ask is because, yeah. the, uh, uh, you know, there was a time when you had to have the root of the hair to do any DNA analysis. And um, apparently now you can use hair and not have the root and still get 50% of the time successful DNA extraction. Dude, you should seriously post that on uh, <laughs> Brave the Bigfoot forums or whatever there and go on there. Because, wow, that's not my under. My understanding is that, uh, or up until this point, the uh, that it had to be uh, yeah roots preserved in alcohol, and even if you had the root, it was going to be uh, you know dicey at best. But that's that's awesome, especially with a lot of the claims that come out when people say they have. And I, is, is that what the the Ketchum <laughs> DNA folks are well, using? Or? No, I don't know. I we that was one of the things we wanted to ask you about it or what you had heard because very, yeah. very little is leaking out of there. Uh, well, I I, <laughs> uh, I think I'm kind of on board with you guys on this. There's too much. Actually, Scott, before we go, why don't we, not all our listeners know about the whole Ketchum DNA stuff. So if you can give us a little concise uh, background on it and then talk to us about what what you think that is. It's so, I I hope I do it justice. I remember we talked about it on the show. It's basically, there's this film project called the Erickson Project, correct? And there's this guy, he claims to have had some, uh, you know, film or video of uh, of a Sasquatch, uh, you know, face up close somewhere, I think, Kentucky, so, somewhere back east a bit, and it's been talked about. It's been kind of hyped. It's going to come out. It's come out. And then uh, Melba Ketchum, who's a lady who has done been involved to a degree with DNA analysis, mm-hmm. uh, got involved with this project, and supposedly they've been sending out, you know, uh, you know, sending it to labs and get, getting stuff done. And she keeps hinting that oh, it's going to be it's big, and which I think, well, why don't you wait until the test is done before you know, you know. <laughs> There were a lot of red flags, though. I mean, oh yeah, 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 it, yeah, yeah. Ton, tons of them. Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, it kind of gives those interested in this phenomena a little hope at times. But the, just the amount of time it it would drag out, and also how definitive she was mm-hmm. that she. I mean, you know, wait for the results. Don't say you know that they're going to be, and and uh, so yeah. My my feeling is probably nothing's going to come of it. Um, Anyway, I, I'm sorry if I didn't wrap up the story. That was pretty much it. I have been back up that hill several times since. I had purchased um, uh, game cams, and again, this is like in the years uh, preceding that. Nothing beyond what happened uh, that day, uh, I, I think it was of interest. Where I've always, when I've gone back, and again, I went back probably about seven times the last time about 10 years ago, 
what I was interested in seeing is whether there was any reuse of the nesting area. And there was no evidence to suggest that that was the case. In fact, the, when I went back up, which is actually documented in Squatching with a, mm-hmm. a fellow researcher up there, um, you could see vegetation actually sprouting up fairly well through the old matted down vegetation. So um, when you went back, did you measure the rhododendron bush? Um, no, I didn't. I didn't. Um, that is, is just a yeah, pure, pure quasi educated guess on how far it was away from the camera having okay. stood there. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I'd say approximately 30 feet and given the slope, you know, of the hill. And if, I mean, again, I've probably looked at that videotape over a thousand times and dude, I am open to other theories open. You know, someone said, well, what if you, what if the, I mean, I know for a fact, I saw an animal whose eyes glowed red. You cannot convince me otherwise. I was there, there was red glow, but that's all I saw were the actual eyes. Yeah. Well, just just for the record, I'm a skeptic, but I mean, there's, that's actually fairly common with mammals to have uh, eye shine and several of them have red. So that doesn't shock me. Yeah. Really, like, like, really red. I, I have never read red. Yeah, I can sh- send you some uh, pictures uh, from. Uh, yeah, yeah get, th- there's a. It's uh, it's got a name. I forget what it's called. Hold on a second. It's uh, it's not really important. <laughs> well, I, like rabbits, it's not really squirrels. Important. I, mean, I mean, the name, the Latin name. Well, oh, okay. Tapetum something. Uh, Tapetum lucidum, I guess. Eye shine is what it's called. But the but different species have different colors. Right. Uh, there's owls that have red. I've seen some mammals that have red. Uh, dogs. Uh, some types of squirrels. Um, well, I, I would rule out. I would rule out owls simply due to the size of what. I saw. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just saying, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not trying to say it was an owl or squirrel. I'm just saying it doesn't shock me that you saw eye shine. That's all. Oh yeah. yeah. Dude, dude, it's still to this day. That was the creepiest thing of the whole thing. And it wasn't like a quick glint. That's what was weird. It it really. And again, I think it was in association having researched this after this happened, you know, learning that, you know, when mammals get scared, their eyes dilate. It's a common thing it's to let more light in, apparently, for you know a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So when this was happening, I mean, it was like red. I mean, red, red. And again, two right. thirty in the afternoon, filtered sunlight. And then you know, I had to then you have to take into to consideration. Well, could it have been while you were moving your apparent movement? And I, I don't think so because it happened while I was taking a step. Then I stopped, and then the second. Uh, event of it happened. In other words, it was like the eye dilated, red, and then it went back down again, diminished, and then it it opened up again, and it was red. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't know. So, it, so it, I'm it, not it a biologist, but like, but the um, the the as I understand it, that the red eye shine or all those eye shines are for animals that are supposed to be able to see in the dark. Uh, their eyes, the backs of their eyes, kind of like work like mirrors and and collect the light better than ours do, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when you see that, you're always seeing a reflection of light sources that are available. As far as I know, there's no mechanism for any species that would cause the eyes themselves to be bioluminescent. Right. Exactly. That, right. Well, that's why I said it appeared bioluminescent. I mean, right. it's relative to other bits of eye shine that I've, that I've witnessed in my life, you know, driving a, in, on the road or seeing something at night, yeah. flashlight with other animals. Uh, it, um, yeah, it was just, uh, whatever it was, it was pretty creepy. And 
And mm-hmm. again, non-glinty. I think yeah. that's, you know, you see that glint, and this was like, it was like, and again, what came to mind, again, because I'm interested in the Bigfoot phenomena, is that you do get these people who said they've seen these things. I mean, not just people who said they've, oh, I saw something, and then I read, I go, like, it was standing right there fully in front of them, and its eyes gave off this weird red glow, either at night or day. Does that prove anything? No, but at least there are those eyewitness accounts, how valid or invalid they are, too. Comparative. Well, let me ask. So, the uh, how how long was it? How long were you on the property before you saw this? Ooh, I would say it was roughly an hour and a half to two hours. Again, getting up that hill was a real trial and error thing because mm-hmm. we we it was a really steep hill, and you go off. We remember we kind of tried to take a. T- it's almost like imagine a cone, okay, like an upside down cone. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what the hill was like. So you've got this, it kind of curves around. So let's try it over to the left. And it was literally too steep over to the left. And then we went over to the right and it was too dense. We didn't have anything like a machete or anything. So we just had to kind of weave our way up mm-hmm. and trying to be quiet in case anything was going to. And, but again, we were really thinking that we're just trying to get to the roads to look for possible right. footprint evidence. Uh, so, I guess, yeah. I guess one thing that that sort of uh, sort of surprises me is that is that you know that these these people can live on the property for 30 or 35 years and never see it. And you're on there for an hour and a half and you find one. Right. But this is where, but this property, I know I didn't say it was right next to there. So this is property that extended for miles. It went, yeah. Okay. They lived, I was just saying they lived approximately three to four miles as the crow flies away. This okay, was on so the this, ed, edge of it, but, okay. um, but they're still in the area. I mean, with three, uh, three miles for an animal, you know, range is <laughs> it's not much. Well, I would say this, too. I don't know how many of those have actually gone up one of these steep, gnarly hills. I would bet n- neither of the husband and wife ever went up one of these hills. As somewhat of a retort. I mean, I'm saying, if these things exist, they're really smart. There's not a lot of them, and they're very wary. I don't think they're just going to be, like, strolling through people's... Um, you know, backyards. Well, you know, the best thing is if you're ever up there, I totally recommend and tell you exactly where this hill is to give a little better idea of just how dense and steep it is. It's, right. it was, it, it, I remember as we started up the hill, I was saying, God, you know, and, and I, another thing with this is as we went up, there was no evidence anybody else had ever been up this hill. I mean, recently there was no, there was no litter. There were no uh, uh, human footprints there. It was just, it's just like, what a pain in the ass to go up this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the reason we were going up was because allegedly two kids at the base of the sill a few weeks later, I supposedly seen one of these things. So, right. Uh, you know, well, it's interesting. Let me, let me follow up on that because you sort of brought up an interesting point about, um, about, about sightings. Cause on, there seems to be a, a sort of profound contradiction in a lot of the Bigfoot literature and the proponents on one hand, they say that, um, that Bigfoot are very rare and they're very shy and they're almost never seen. They're very elusive and they travel at night and they're nocturnal and, and this and that. Um, and so that they use that as a reason why there, there are so few sightings. But on the other hand, if you look at it, um, they're actually reported in 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 uh, they're reported all over the place. They're reported in you know all throughout North America. They're reported in, in virtually every state. Uh, I think it's maybe Hawaii, and there may be one there. They're, they're reported in in Pennsylvania. They're reported in New Jersey. 
Um, so on one hand, you know, the argument is, well, these things are very elusive. That's why they're rarely seen. But on the other hand, you, then you have to explain why are they regularly seen and, and, and photographed. Well, well, first, well, see, I actually, I think, and if you listen to that Bigfoot show we last recorded together, I actually, a lot of skeptical arguments, I think, have a lot of that validity. But that particular argument you just made, I think, is actually one of the weakest. And I'll, and I'll tell you why I think it is. Well, I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't making an argument. I was just, I was just trying to understand the contradiction. Well, no, I, well, I just think this. I think the, well, well, what people say there's a bunch of, I, 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 and I said this at the beginning of, of the broadcast is that, or the podcast rather, that I, I think there's a, a healthy, if not a majority of sightings are misinterpretations, uh, hallucinations, or pure BS. That would not surprise me at all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. But to say if, if that, let's say, like I mentioned earlier, I, I'm not sure whether or not or whether I believe or it's worthy of a further investigation in areas of the East to further that because of there's a lot of sightings elsewhere, therefore, it's, it's an either or proposition. Why is it impossible that there could be a lot of actually valid sightings, let's say, in the Pacific Northwest and a heavy, heavy bullet quotient in the Southeast? That's the you know, uh, ultra reasons. Why? Why is that impossible? Right. That's the one percent argument we get a lot in uh, ghost hunting. That ninety nine percent of them are crap, and then there's one percent that are mysterious and real and worth investigating. And I don't know. I mean, the 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 thing is, like, you've got this scale of people who are, let's say, one hundred percent credulous regarding Bigfoot, and then right. very skeptical regarding Bigfoot. Okay. And the people who collect data, like, let's let's just say the BFRO, for example, they yeah. have the, they have their database of of sightings, right? And they they classify them by was. It, a, B, C, and D, if I remember correctly. Right. So, so, you know, the, most of them are not your class A, I saw a Bigfoot, it was hairy, it was five feet away, and I got a good look at it. You know, right. the majority of them are, I saw something furry in the woods, or I heard something. Right. You know, uh, and, or I remember this thing that happened to me when I was a kid. And all those things, you know, maybe, they may be true to those people, but that doesn't make them particularly Absolutely. compelling. So, I com- Dude, I completely agree with you. I think the BFRO, well, I've known Matt for many years, Matt Moneymaker, the, uh, who in, in really a lot of ways is the BFRO because any decision that's made is goes through Matt and all that. And, and I think Matt is a genuine believer, but he's got such a big dose of hype in his soul for, I think he, he takes the route of, uh, what, by whatever means possible or the end justifies the means. And I think that's horrific. Not only is it wrong, it's also completely anti-scientific. Yes. Everything does count. How can you, I mean, every one of their friggin' expeditions, 
someone comes, oh, we heard knocking. We heard there were rocks thrown at us. I mean, you, you start with the assumption that there are some of these things. The odds would be astronomical that every one of these things, every one of these expeditions would, would have something like this happen. So, uh, you know, we share a general belief in it, but the science applied, I think, in the BFRO, and then they have the goal. Then they have the goal, the only scientific group investigating it. I mean, it's so funny. I mean, they have to be joking. But, you know, if you've got someone like Bobo on your team, you've got to be taken seriously, right? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> you would think. Because he is the living uh, Bigfoot scale. So, <laughs> well, now, He's the man. Can I ask you guys a quick question? Sure. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as skeptics, so, I mean, when you hear someone like, oh, I don't know, Jane Goodall, say that she thinks these things probably exist, what do you say to that? Well, now, you'll be amazed when I tell you that I'm, I'm sure that they exist. You, you I, are? Yeah. Did you always have this belief that, they're, that, they, that they existed? Well, I'm a romantic, so I always wanted them to exist. <laughs> oh, actually, I love that quote she gave, but she also goes on to say that she, she hopes they exist. I mean, but that, that's, whether she believes or not doesn't put a body on the slab. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just saying as someone, as, as, as someone who is, I think, rightly deemed an expert in primatology, and she comes out, in fact, her first words, if you remember, which was actually very unscientific, in that N- NPR interview, she goes, I'm sure that they exist. And then you could almost hear the wheels in her head. Wait a minute. Did I say that out loud? Right. <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. I'm saying good all. I just uh, admitted I think there's something to this phenomenon. And then she backpedaled to a position of probability. Right. But I, it, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, I, um, I, I'm – Frankly, not that impressed with, with that quote for for a couple of reasons. Number one, again, if you if you begin with the premise that you're sure they exist, then okay, I mean, you you're welcome to your opinion. Um, the 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 disconnect that I see is that uh, Bigfoot is not known to exist. It's not even known to be a primate. Uh, I, I don't question uh, Dr. Goodall's uh, expertise and and her knowledge in in in, in primates and lowland gorillas. Um, I would question her her knowledge and expertise uh, in in Bigfoot research and eyewitness testimony and psychology and and all the things that go into it. I would say that, that uh, I know she doesn't believe in them, and here's why: because she's still in Africa looking at gorillas. <laughs> Dude, she's like seventy two. Come on, no, she's, she's like ninety five. Existed in the United States, and she knew it for real. She'd be there looking at them. I mean, seriously. I don't. That, that's that's an assumption. Come on, man. She's got all these other things. She. Uh, well, no, but I just but I, I, wait. Here's a woman who knows how secretive, how smart higher primates are. And she probably has gone, in fact, she says in the interview, she's interviewed Native Americans, not speaking from her perspective anyway, not from a mythological point of view, but from other people too who've heard the screams or have had alleged direct encounters. And if you go to those areas, she, because I am her agent apparently, she knows how relatively easy it would be for these things to remain undetected. Not that, 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 you know, we can just go in and, oh, uh, you know, and you hear people go, oh, what if you satellites, you'd be seeing them. And I mean, these are just such lame arguments. You know, like it, it, it somewhat surprises me, somewhat, that a body hasn't been found yet. But not to the point where it overrides the sheer volume of uh, eyewitness accounts. I think, there's, I think there's too many to ignore it. And 
And finally, I have one living in my basement. So I just wanted to get well, that. There you go. <laughs> well, I, I, again, I guess to my mind, the, the issue is that you know, if, if Bigfoot were known to be a primate, then a primatologist's um, opinion on that is relevant. Bigfoot is not known to be a primate. Well, but Ben, if you take the, the vast majority, the vast, if not all, accounts, it clearly, if these things exist, it's a primate based on the descriptions. It's, up, it's upright. It's covered in hair. It's manlike. Hence primate. Why would you think it would be something else if it exists? Yeah, but you, you're only taking the part that fits the primate. There's other descriptions that have them being... Well, to get out of a spaceship? Okay. Right, well, right. I'm just saying, you get... You, you, <laughs> you're, you're picking and choosing the, the descriptions that match well, the primate. Well, and then, give me... Give me right. okay, hold on. Give me aspects, Bigfoot sightings, that are, you know, generally occur in Bigfoot sightings that are non-primate. Well, there's there's a variety of them, but the question, the, the my the point, the statement that I made was that Bigfoot is not known to be a primate. Do you just yeah? But I, wait, you didn't answer my question. Give me give me a couple. I, I, I'm trying to you, 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 you never answered my question. What was your question? My question was, I mean, again, the statement that the, the, you objected to, um, what I said was that Bigfoot is not known to be a primate. As far as I know, that's a factual statement. Do you agree or disagree? Well, it's not known to be, but based on a, a, a descriptions. It stands to reason that it's probably a primate because it meets descriptions of a primate. I, I mean, okay, so for that, that, like, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, to dispute that uh, that many descriptions would suggest that it, it might be a primate. That that's not the question. The question is, is there a necessary link between a a primatologist's opinion about Bigfoot and Bigfoot? Um, uh, yeah, I would say, I, I, yeah. I see the same thing. Well, let, let, let me let me give you an example. I see the same thing in, for example, ghost research, where people tell me, well, you know, ghosts are ghosts. Can, you know, they, they can manipulate electromagnetic fields because ghosts are energy. Mm-hmm. And my question is, who told you ghosts are energy? What 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 facts are you pointing to that you know for a fact that ghosts are energy? And the answer is there is none. And so if so, if you're gonna if you're going to assert some cert- some some certainty that Bigfoot is a primate. Then my question to you is, how do you know? And if you if if you just want to say I don't know, it's speculation. Then that's fine. I'll I'll, I'll agree with you on. I, that. I think what Ben, if I could sum up for Ben, I, if and you correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, I think you're saying it's kind of like saying dragons are reptiles. Yeah, they look exactly. like reptiles, but we don't really know they're real animals, so it really doesn't matter. So. Do we- Okay, so in the, back in the 1800s or wherever, when people were reporting these man-like beings on the, on the near the volcanoes of Rwanda, and they were describing them, a, a primatologist shouldn't have looked at that, right? He shouldn't have even considered it. No, no, you should look. I, 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 I'm all for looking. I, I, sure. I absolutely am for looking. We all agree on that. Yeah, right. So you know what, we just differ on... I think we know where we're different. I think we differ on certitude. I get, <laughs> I get paid for being comedic about it. No. Do you actually get paid for that? That's awesome. No. <laughs> we don't get paid either. Yeah, so. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I wish. I think no, money, I, but, 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 but I guess my, my point was that was that if we're going to have these discussions and we're going to have these debates and we're if we're going to move move forward toward understanding these things, we need to be very clear about what things we're saying are facts and what things we're saying are actually speculation and theory. And as long as long as everybody's on the same page and sure. as long as everyone admits, because I can tell you how often you know, well, well, they found a Bigfoot hair. What do you mean? Right, they found exactly. a big, no, no, they did not find a Bigfoot hair. They found a hair that someone claimed was a Bigfoot. That exactly. is not the same as claiming we found a Bigfoot hair. Yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that it's back to the good old thing. 
if you're going to investigate a, an animal that possibly exists, and the vast, if not all, of the, of the characteristics attributed to it fit a certain type of animal, and then you, which clearly, I mean, in this case, points to a primate. I mean, mm-hmm. it's if, if, speculatively, then when someone who is in that field, who is an expert, which I think you would agree Jane Goodall is, and she says they probably exist, I'm just curious what you guys thought about it. And, and you, I, I think she's welcome to her opinion. There and, you go. And that's, and that's fine. And it's um, sway. Okay. Well, and she, and she does say in the end that she, uh, maybe they don't exist, but she wants them to, right? Yeah, so. That's true. She did say that too. But, she, yeah. but in, in, in the body of what she says, it's clear that she thinks they probably exist. Oh, it is. It is it's clear that she's read a lot about them, and, and what she's read has been compelling to her. Right. I, I would, I would, I would actually be interested to find out what of the skeptical arguments she's read. I, I don't doubt that she's heard of Bigfoot, and I don't doubt that she knows something about it. I would, I would suggest to you that probably I and Blake and you and probably your listeners have probably read more about Bigfoot than she has. I bet you're I could, right. On I could that be too. wrong. I could be wrong. <laughs> but my guess is that um, that she doesn't spend her time researching uh, Bigfoot in uh, evidence and, and reports. But I think uh, it would also stand to reason she's also been in areas where these things allegedly exist a hell of a lot more than any of us have and is therefore in a better position to glean whether or not the probability of such things existing without being found by us could be. Well, I would say that even if she came out and said she saw a Bigfoot, it's still, you know, that's that's an anecdote and it's an argument. No, that's true. I mean, I would yeah. agree. I mean, it, look, I we are totally as far as, yeah. look, part like, of the And I don't want to get caught up in this. I really called you to talk about the Bigfoot show. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. This is good. <laughs> let's, let's talk about bones and bodies. Show, man. I don't know. Could we have five people on at once or one of you guys should come on the Bigfoot show, man? I think that would be it would be awesome because – there is, I mean, where we, I think, really strongly agree at a lot of points is that there is just so much horrible science in relation to this phenomena. It's a lot of fun. There's so many different dimensions to Bigfoot. There's the goofy, kitschy aspect. There is the anthropological. There's the mythological. And it's just so easily stuff, you know, TV shows that are just friggin', I mean, finding Bigfoot. I mean, it's just, God, it's it's just laughable. So I... Anyway, I'm sorry I'm rambling. It's okay. Well, let, let me let me ask you something I've I've been I've been wondering for a while now. And and this yeah. is this is a is sort of a philosophical argument but it's also a, yeah. a very 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 germane to to Bigfoot. Yeah. And that is that um the quality of the photographic evidence and the video evidence for yeah. Bigfoot has not gotten any better. These days everybody has a 5 megapixel HD camera in their pockets with their iPhones and at no time in history have so many people had so had high quality cameras on them virt- virtually all the time and and if you look at the history of photography over the past decades uh photographs of everything of just about everything have gotten better photographs of sunsets of of people of animals of of the earth there all of those things, the, 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 the objective quality of the photographs and the information in those photographs has dramatically improved in the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years. The, the sole exceptions are things such as Bigfoot. The quality of Bigfoot photographs and evidence has, has not improved, is, is, is glaringly not improved. Uh, certainly, certainly you know, if they're still pointing to the, the Patterson-Gimlin film, from 1967, back when Lyndon Johnson was president. Right. So I, I'm trying to figure out why. Why is that? Why? Why in the world would it be 
that if these if these creatures are out there and they they're really seen you know on a fairly regular basis depending on where you are and again you can say some of them are you know, mistakes yeah. or hoaxes that, that that's fine but 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 assuming that these creatures actually are out there why in the world would it be that that Bigfoot are one of the very few things in the entire world for which the quality of photographs of them does not improve uh, well first of all. Though uh, technology improves via a camera, if an animal is relatively small in nature, secretive to begin with, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be getting better pictures of it. I mean, I would would disagree. I I would challenge you to find me, to to name me a single animal that is known to humans for which the the quality of the photographs have not improved. Well, yeah, but that's like... Yeah, because they know they exist and they found the ways to get close to them. I mean, if these things exist, I think it's safe to say based on on observations of them. I mean, I, I personally think that these things are more proto-human, therefore very smart, small in number. I kind of agree somewhat with Krantz's speculation that it, or hold sway that for every hundred bears uh, whose brains are about the size of what, a walnut, maybe a little bigger, there's probably one of these things, if not less than that. So we're talking about something which also may, and again, it's anything to do with Bigfoot apart from hard physical evidence, is going to be speculative, obviously. Although I would disagree with you on on uh, anecdotal evidence. I mean, it is evidence. It is the weakest, but there's a load of it, I think. Anyway, oh, I, I'm sorry. It's just a clean show. No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't actually say anything about anecdotal evidence. I'm just trying to figure out what your explanation is for why the photographic evidence for Bigfoot has not improved. Well, it all, but it also assumes as though, you know, if you're walking around, no matter how good the camera is, to get it to shoot, to be ready when you actually, let's say, see something that's incredibly rare, probably on average for your average person takes at least 10 seconds, at least. People aren't walking around with head cams. Uh, and they don't have them mounted, although there are those things that have the infrared stuff on the car, although that still wouldn't hold up as far as evidence, because if they exist, they're very obviously bipedal, and how could you say it's not a guy in a suit? So um, they're wary. If they're, if they're real, they're very wary. Don't hang a lo- around for a long time. So it just assumes somebody can get one out, take a picture, and even if they did, I think we'd still agree photographic evidence is not going to be verification. Like you guys said earlier in the show, it's body or a part of body or strong DNA. Right. No, I, 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 I wouldn't disagree that the you know I would never suggest that a photograph of Bigfoot is going to be hard evidence. Um, I'm just I but the, the the fact of the matter is that you can point to dozens, if not hundreds, of alleged Bigfoot photographs. And again, they don't improve over time. They have not gotten any better despite advances in technology, despite more people having cameras on them, uh, you name it. So again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not to, I'm not trying to badger you, but I, no, 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 I'm really no, no, not no, getting okay. an answer. I just want to answer. Actually, I, I, think, I think it's safe to say that, again, well, we would agree that a percentage, I think probably you think a lot higher percentage than me, but we would both say it's a fair statement that a – large percentage of sightings are misinterpretation, hoax, perhaps even hallucination. Sure. So let's say these things are out there, a small percentage of a smaller percentage of these things are, let's assume, actual. So someone, where would they actually then see them? Well, I think based on personal experience and having been in these places, a lot of it's going to be in harder to reach places. 
the ones that tend to be, well, I saw them there. I saw them, you know, they might cross a road at night. In fact, according to Green's book, that's the most common is the is the one crossing a road at night. But who's got their camera, however good it is, ready to roll at that point? These things don't hang around. I mean, they're not like, what you know, again, if it's true, they're not sitting around waiting for the photo to be taken. Maybe there's a maybe there's a genetic basis why they're uh, so uh, elusive in regards to us. Um, right. Right. You know, I mean, I would, in fact, I go ahead. No, Ben, you. I'm not disputing that they can be elusive and whatever else. I'm just saying that all other factors being equal, whether it's, you know, in 2011 or 1974, people are still hiking in the wilderness. People are yep. still driving on freeways. That all other factors being equal, you would expect, it's logical to assume, that the, the, the quality of the photographs and video evidence uh, would, would dramatically improve, if not Im- improve somewhat. And yet that doesn't seem to be the case. That's all. Right, but it's still, it's still kind of a paradox, though, because what does it matter since it's not going to be, <laughs> it's not going to be worth uh, evidence anyway? But logically, whether or not it would be considered definitive evidence is not relevant to whether or not there should be increasingly good photographs. Oh, I, I, you can see a lot of them. Just go to YouTube. <laughs> There's tons of shots of Bigfoot on there. Yeah, maybe obviously yeah. hoax is what. <laughs> right. What, what right. I'm saying, I mean, but it's almost like okay. Let's say like tomorrow, a guy with a totally strong HD camera got one. Let's say he got one on camera, and it unbeknownst to us, because we wouldn't be able to verify it anyway, was actually a Sasquatch, and it was shown to you, what would be your response? Well, it's only a photograph. It's not proof. No, no, like- no, 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 no. In fact, that's that's not true at all. It would depend on the photograph. I mean, I would uh, I would love really? to find... Oh, absolutely. See, I'm I would more love to... You. I, don't, I don't see how any uh, peer-reviewed group would take a still photograph as verification that these animals exist. No, no, my my point is that I would not reject a photograph at all. I would I would I would love to see any and all evidence that people bring forth, whether it's photographs. I, I don't care. I I want to see the evidence. So what um, would be, well, well hold on? What would be then a still photograph? What would have to be the characteristics of the still photograph that you could conclusively deduce was not photoshopped that would serve as strong evidence that Bigfoot exists? I'm not following your question. Well, you're saying that you wouldn't rule out a photograph. So I'm asking you, what are the characteristics that would have to be in that photograph that would be strong evidence for you that it's a Bigfoot? Oh, well, well, I, I couldn't I couldn't certainly couldn't prove that it's a Bigfoot as opposed to something else. So the, the question would be, you know, is it a photograph of a known animal? Uh, what are there other uh, you know, what are some of the other photographs taken in the series? Is there uh, forensic evidence that we can go to? Uh, is it clear? Is it another blob squatch? You know, is it? Can we see actual details? I mean, right. this is the problem. Is that is it? These these are exactly the sorts of photographs and videos that are not emerging, and they they have never emerged. And this is this is one of the problems. Well, I, I, well, I don't know. I, I kind of get your point, and I, I, I but I, I don't think it's that. I don't know. I don't think it's that because it's not going to ultimately matter. The only thing I think. That could, because especially with Hollywood costuming today, CG capabilities, Photoshopping, to me, the only bit of video that I think that could actually make a really strong impact in the scientific community, and again, assuming they could rule out manipulation of the video, would be if somehow you had a stationary camera. And this object, which was clearly met the, the average description of what people were reporting as being a Bigfoot, you could, and it had have to be a stationary camera to deduce that it moved from point A to point B at a speed, which humans have not been able to do yet. Then well, you go, okay. well, 
there, there's actually well, there's actually another thing, uh, which is size. Uh, you know, one of the big yeah. red flags to me for the Patterson Gimlin film is that the the Bigfoot or guy in a suit, depending on which yeah. position you take, I'm with you on that uh, one, is, is is human size. Now, now, but hold on here. Yeah. If 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 it were clear and it could be determined that that Bigfoot is twelve or fourteen feet high, yeah. um, that to me would be uh, again assuming you could rule that it wasn't photoshopped. Yeah. Um, that to me is very very compelling evidence that it is in fact a Bigfoot or certainly something that people are calling a Bigfoot. So so there is to answer your question, there is definitely some criterion. Uh, that I would apply to to Bigfoot photos and videos if they can be authenticated uh, that that would definitely uh, point in that direction. Yeah. So, but I, I would agree with you too as far as the corroborative. Like, if there was this, although it gets like the whole, like for example, the Patterson film stuff. People talk about these these measurements. Well, you know, and they're basing it. There was no tape measure there. It wasn't a lab. So when they're using these, well, Bob Gimlin says it was a hundred feet away. They use that. And then they deduce that it's like seven feet three. And it's just, it's, it's, horrible. it's not, I mean, it's not, it could be a hundred feet away, but it's, it's guesswork. There was no measuring tape out there. I think Daigling does a great job in Bigfoot Exposed uh, mm-hmm. making that argument. Uh, and, and again, it goes personally as someone who works with video and film, just that uh, as far as being proof, it's never going to get the job done. And then, to add even an, an otter fact, I'm actually against killing one. So I'm in, I'm in a quandary here, damn it. We need to find a dead one. <laughs> what, what do you think the most compelling evidence for Bigfoot is currently? Currently, to me, is is the sheer volume of the sightings, historical sightings. And not going back to, like, Grendel and stuff. In the Pacific Northwest, I find people I've talked to, the compellingness of them, um, the amount of footprints, although I'm fairly certain a good majority of those could, in fact, be faked. Um, it's just, I don't find a parallel phenomena. And again, it's not something, I don't put it in the same realm as ghosts because we're dealing with something that's either part of another dimension or lighter. I think what we're talking about here, if it exists, is simply an unclassified primate. And when you take the areas supposedly they live in, the amount of sightings, having been up there, having talked to witnesses, and the personal experience I had, I lean toward it strongly existing, probably existing. I do leave over the possible possibility that uh, it's all hooey, but I I find that a lot less probable. So that's interesting. So, so you're saying that the, the most compelling evidence that you see for Bigfoot is the sightings, right? It's the volume of sightings. Okay. Now, what about the, the... And what happened to me combined? Okay. All right. That's fine. So one thing that I find interesting about sightings, as, as you, you know, as a, I think you know from some of my stuff, is that, you know, I, I'm part of, partly from my background in psychology, but also just from doing this a lot, is that I'm, I'm not as impressed with, with a lot of sightings <laughs> yeah. as a lot of people are. No, and that's wait, fine. you're kidding me. <laughs> okay, <go ahead. laughs> but but, but, here, but here, here's what I find interesting, is that if you look at sightings from an evidentiary point of view, that is, if, if you look at what, for, you know, what, what do we know about Bigfoot? Well, the answer is we, we do not know anything definitively about Bigfoot anyway. But, but that being said, um, if you look at the evidentiary history of sightings in terms of what value has, have historically have sightings given us, what you find, and, and you may disagree, and I'll ask about that, is that the answer is zero. 
Uh, one one Bigfoot sighting on some level is as good as a dozen or a hundred or a thousand Bigfoot sightings because if you're simply talking about someone reporting an experience, I saw something. I saw something weird. I saw something I couldn't explain, whatever else. I, I'm not saying that's true or not true, but I'm just saying that for, from an investigating point of view, you know, when I do these investigations, whether it's, you know, big, you know whether it's Chupacabra sightings or ghost sightings or Bigfoot sightings or lake monster sightings, at the end of the day, to my mind, in, in my investigations, they're only useful insofar as they lead to other evidence. You know, I saw Bigfoot and, you know, where did you see it? Well, I saw it here and look, there's, there's a track. But, but, but the, 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 the quality of sightings um, that, that I've seen is, is, is incredibly poor and, and frankly universally poor. And so my question is, is how, how, how do you reconcile that? I mean, if, if you're considering the volume of sightings as being the most compelling part of Bigfoot evidence, well, then, 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 then what, 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 have these, what have these sightings proven to us? What, what have these sightings demonstrated? Well, they haven't proven anything. I mean, I think we, we, we agree with that, but it's the – uh, not just the sheer volume, but also people I've talked to directly that I find it hard to believe that they were misinterpreting something. Someone, a guy uh, in, for example, in uh, Western Pennsylvania, along with his wife, who struck me as incredibly sane, no reason to BS me that they saw one of these things literally within four feet of them. It was just mm-hmm. compelling. I mean, it's obvious. I agree. It's not. It's not verification. Uh, scientific verification, but, you know, I mean, again, I like, I want to throw in with this as well. I mean, the, the discovery of higher primates has always been a slow process. This doesn't obviously mean there is a Sasquatch or such things as Sasquatch, but it's not like, well, they first heard stories about uh, orangutans. Yeah, right. Wild men of Borneo, bullshit, blah, blah, blah. Took a long time. Same with mountain gorillas until one jackass shot one. So it's, I think we're talking about, I mean, when you're talking about the type of animal based on the descriptions, it doesn't surprise me. This could go on for years and not be verified if, in fact. And, and it's gone on for decades, in fact. I yeah. mean, that, that's, and that's, that's one of the Story, problems. Stories of mountain gorillas went on for uh, a couple hundred years before. There were stories about that long before there was verification. Well, right, except for the fact that the, the lowland mountain gorillas uh, in, in Rwanda and Central Africa are very different than uh, tall, bipedal uh, creatures in North, uh, North I, well, wait America. A minute. You said we don't know anything about them. How do you know they're that much different? No, I know the, the point that I'm making is that is that the circumstances you're talking, you, you're comparing, you know, a, an animal that was, you know, in, in Central Africa, yeah. um, you know, 150, uh, 200 years ago or longer, depending on, you know, when you want to start your age of exploration to an animal that is uh, allegedly living in 2011, um, uh, you know, in the Pacific Northwest, these are very, very different circumstances. Uh, they're not. I would totally disagree with that. Uh, there's a hun- over 150,000 square miles of forested land in the Pacific Northwest. In B- British Columbia, there's over 135,000 miles of inlet beaches. That area, I really, if you've never been up there, I assume you've been on some expeditions. But mm-hmm. I, I talked to a. I don't recall his name. I talked to a ca- Canadian primatologist once at a zoo at the Calgary Zoo. And I said, okay, here's a hypothetical. You're a mad scientist, and you're able to clone mountain gorillas. And again, assuming for the moment that a mountain gorilla and a Sasquatch are somewhat similar, hairy, we know gorillas exist, people are describing these things which are bipedal or whatever, but just as, give me a little uh, room here. And mm-hmm. you cloned thousands of these, a thousand of them. 
and then you parachuted them in safely in various areas of the Pacific Northwest. They said they were able to survive it. How often would you, would you see them? And his response was, oh, God, you'd hardly ever see them. You might find a footprint every once in a while. But they're super smart. They're super reclusive in relation to, to human beings. And uh, it could go on for a long, long time before there was verification. And mm-hmm. I just want to throw this in there, too. Is um, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I think it's, it's, it's a good argument on the pro side. Is people, well, we want to find bodies lying around. Well, George Schaller in the 60s, head of the World Wildlife Fund, actually witnessed two mountain gorillas covering a dead mountain gorilla with vegetation. So the possibility, and we know Neanderthals buried their dead. So if we are talking about a higher primate, perhaps a proto-human, it's not that big of a stretch to suggest they might conceal their dead. Right. That's all. That's all. I, yeah, I, I guess, again, I don't, I don't want to beat a dead horse about it. I guess, I guess <laughs> the, I'm just slightly surprised, or beat a dead Bigfoot about it. But I guess I'm <laughs> just slightly Wait surprised. Wait a minute, you that, Bigfoot there, God. But, <laughs> I mean, it, how, how is it that I'm trying to reconcile? I mean, if, if, if we all acknowledge and you admit that eyewitness reports ha, have essentially zero evidentiary value. No, I wouldn't. How, not not okay, essentially. So, the lo- I would agree with you that they're the lowest form, but they are evidence. If, if, if people didn't listen, well, hold on. If people didn't listen to stories before mountain gorillas discovered, they never would have been discovered. Maybe that would have been a better thing. I don't know. No, 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 no. But see, I, I think you, you're confusing the thing. You, you, you've talked about it. You, this is a, that's actually the second time that you've sort of suggested that, that skeptics are saying that we shouldn't listen to them. I have never, ever suggested, and I don't think Blake has either, that anyone should ignore eyewitness reports. No one is saying that. But none so of them, that, but they're also that, saying that, that's none of them are to you because there's no physical evidence. So it's like, it's like, um, well, <laughs> no, I, no. What I'm trying to reconcile is that is that you said that you consider that to be to be the most compelling type of evidence, which is fine. I, I that's that, well, that's fine. Uh, but I'm just saying that, that. Wait, I also said coupled with my own experience, right? And well, which was talking people. That's fine, but I, I'm just trying to figure out again, given the fact that that you know, eyewitness reports and sightings, to the best of my knowledge, have never led to any, you know, any known fact about Bigfoot. Where, why, why is it so compelling? Is it just because of the volume of well, it, or what? Well, it, it, I think it's it, it's it's uh, there's nothing really to reconcile. I would say for me, because it sounds like you're just too damn impatient, Ben. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> damn it, you're, you're damn it. I mean, it is good to have folks. We want results. Is uh, it, it again? People, what, what, in a nutshell, what are people saying? You've got a lot, a lot of people saying they've seen primate-like creatures. Hmm, let's look at the history of primate discovery. It's a slow process. I don't buy the argument we're so technologically advanced we'd be finding them. That doesn't apply to this particular scenario um, because we, dense vegetation and steep slopes are in unbelievable abundance in the Pacific Northwest. And if we're talking about a viable breeding population of only, let's say, 1,500, you do the math, it works out to something like a social group of these things, assuming they have like four or five per social group, let's say like a mountain girl, again, assuming Mm -hmm. you could have one social group for every 700, roughly 750 square miles of forest. They occasionally have the rogue male go out. This is Krantz's theory on this is hypothesis. It doesn't make, it's not that unusual. It's just not that, well, we would find them right away. No, we're not. The brains of these things would be a hell of a lot bigger, uh, you know, than a, than a bear, obviously less in number, to the bigger an animal is, there's less of them in a particular ecosystem. So it's it, it, it's not all that surprising to me that right. if, in fact, they exist, that uh, I'm just more patient, damn it. 
<laughs> well, and the other thing that I have to, I'll just throw this in there, is that, um, you know, for, in researching the Chupacabra for, for my book, mm. I mean, I, I came across dozens and dozens of people who, uh, you know, I, went, I interviewed many of them, I read their reports, who were absolutely convinced that they reported seeing something that resembled a Chupacabra and, in various forms. Is it available at Amazon.com? It, it is available <laughs> at Amazon.com. <laughs> But 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 my point here is that is that you know this I I don't I don't doubt for a second their sincerity. These are honest, sincere, good people. They're not liars. They're not hoaxers. They're but I mean I know people who who looked me dead in the eye and swore that they saw a creature that I am virtually certain and I've more or less proved in my in my excellent book Trek the Chupacabra does not <laughs> exist. Right. Um, and this is the problem that I have. As as again I I don't. I don't doubt for a second that people see things they, they don't understand, don't recognize. I know that for a fact. I know that better than most people do. But at the point in which you're going to tell me that, that, you know, that someone saying they saw something they can't explain or can't identify is good evidence, that's where things get a little hazy for me. Well, no, well again, it's a sliding scale. I, I wouldn't put it as good, but it's a starting point, and it's been so in the history of science. I mean, the hit part of the scientific process, as you guys know, is the investigative process. Is there enough to to further, uh, you know, further looking around. And it, it uh, maybe un, un, unfairly, it's, it's, it's weird. I think how a lot of believers will look at you guys and say, oh, they're just scoff dicks and all that. Go, you know, but they point out, you know, when there's bad pieces of evidence, like, for example, when Meldrum is still, for some friggin' reason, holding out that Paul Freeman's footprint casts are real. I mean, it's like, it's embarrassing. Come on. It's like a clown went through the forest. Um, <laughs> So um, I like that, but, but it's like um, there's these Bigfoot clowns and they have big, big noses yeah. and seltzer bottles. It's crazy. But hey, but I got to tell you, Jeff has gotten better. His gullibility has gotten less and less. In fact, I don't know if you guys saw this, I, and I don't want to get too far away from your point. I'm sorry, but he actually—it's the first time I've ever seen him come out. This whole thing in Siberia with the Yeti thing—he actually yeah. <laughs> spoke out. I mean, not that it wasn't pretty obvious from the beginning. You know, when there's only one like right foot making the prints. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think he's. I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think Jeff is getting is getting better, and I don't think my my guess is he was never or anyone in his family was ever pranked uh, when he was when he was young. <laughs> he's like one of the people in that movie, The Invention of Lying. It's like they just would tend to believe everything that's that's told them. But um, anyway, I, I think it's it's just it's an interest. Speaking of psychology, I mean, it's interesting why you know you. We agree on a lot. Hey, there's no proof for Bigfoot. The physical evidence, I would agree, is weak. But to me, I find the anecdotal evidence is strong, plus personal experience and having talked to people. Yes, I think that leads to further investigation, and I think that there probably is something. But that's admittedly purely uh, an intuitive thing. It's purely intuitive. So um doesn't mean I'm right. doesn't mean I'm wrong. But – um, I just think that greatest irony would be would be awesome if I read in the newspaper one day Ben Radford hits actual Sasquatch with car in British Columbia, <laughs> yeah, or, or killed by a Bigfoot. I mean, that, how awesome would that be? <laughs> no, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get all these diehard believers. Uh, they'll pummel your body and they'll try to make it look like a Sasquatch did it. But fleeing uh, a UFO and lost control of the car. Like, uh, <laughs> 
No, no, I, I, I think you're right. And again, I think we actually agree on, on, on quite a bit. And, and I agree with you about Jeff. I mean, I, I, I know Jeff Meldrum. I like him. He's a, he's a nice too. guy. I, I, he's, I, I happen to think fairly highly of him, except in certain circumstances when I don't think his science is as good. Um, but, but, you know, on the whole, I mean, I, I, I think he did the right thing by stepping up and saying, look, you know, this is bogus and, uh, and good for him. I, I wish, I wish more people in the Bigfoot community would 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 come forward and say, you know what, this is bullshit, and you know what, yeah. I got used here, and and you know, and and try and sort out the the good evidence from the bad, and I think that's one yep. thing that I try to do, and, and Monster yeah. Talk and Blake and others and, and you as well is, yep. is say, look, guys, I mean, I think at the end of the day, I think really we're on the same page. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're trying to find the the, the truth to Bigfoot, and. And I'm trying to figure it out, and you're trying to figure it out, and and you know this is why I sometimes get baffled when people suggest that well, you know I I'm somehow like I'm paid to like debunk Bigfoot or something like, <laughs> what does that even mean? You know I, I'm not first of all I'm not paid. Second of all, um, you think I wouldn't love to find Bigfoot? I mean I just come at it from a, from a you know a slightly more I think science based and skeptical point of view. But right. at the end of the day, you know to my <laughs> mind. You're open to it. You're open to the possibility. Yeah, yeah, and 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 frankly, I think that 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 not sorting through uh, the the bull and the truth and the myths yeah. and trying to point these into different categories is a disservice. We we need people to step up and say, you know what, this may not be definitive evidence, but it's pretty good. And you know what, these videos, these photos, these are all crap. And and let's just clear out the hoaxes, clear out the fakes, and and focus on the good evidence. And and that's what I try to do. Yeah, no, no, that, that's good, man. It's, it's, uh, I mean, it's a great mystery. It's very fascinating, and uh, you reminded me when you're talking about something there uh, that I think really comes into play here. Well, not only on the believer side, I think perhaps more on the believer side, but also on the skeptical side too. Uh, and not with you guys per se, but whenever you get a groups of people with particular bent one way or another, believer or non-believer, then you get the group thing and, it, and, and, and the snarkiness on both sides that, oh, well, he just doesn't know what he's talking about, blah, 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 and the blah, blah. And, right. you know, to me, it always shows the danger of group think, whatever mm-hmm. it is. You have to individually analyze every specific incident individually. How often do I see it in this phenomenon? It's just, the, you know, again, like the BFRO expeditions, you can just kind of, my God, what are the odds that you're getting that much, um, you know, evidence when you go out? It, it, it's so astronomical, if, assuming these things are real, that it would just, it, it's ridiculous. It's, I guess one thing I would say to whatever, whoever's listening to this, you know, don't. Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you people listen up. Yeah. Always look, you know, look at what the person's claiming. And then what, what are they offering up? And then and see if there's either, you know, uh, are they being, uh, it's hard to determine if someone's lying or not. But, you know, just like you said, Ben, you know, trying to separate the bullshit from the, hmm. And in this phenomena, it's all been, hmm, to this point. I happen to believe that there will be verification probably in two months. No. Um, <laughs> actually, I, was, I would think a, a, uh, I imagined a question you guys might ask, ask me today. And, and uh, I, it's something along the lines of, well, how long would this have to go on without mm. verification before you would give up the ghost, as it were? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm 52. <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I actually, I've said this years ago, though. I, I really honestly think it could go on a long time. If there's a small number of them and they are super smart and they, like, I, I believe, because we know there's evidence to suggest cougars will, you know, don't leave tracks at certain times. A friggin' cougar can do it. Then an alleged higher primate could definitely 
not want to leave tracks at certain times, perhaps, or be conscientious of it, conscious of it, rather. Um, I think it could go on a long time. Um, but um, it's got to, I guess, be tough for you guys because it's, all, it's hard to prove it negative. I suppose. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, a believer could always go, well, he's always just right over the hill. He just, you just missed him. You know, it's like kind of the, you know, the Santa well, art. You know, actually, the, uh, the, the thing that bugs me is having had experiences that were very unusual I, that I would have classified as paranormal mm. and later figuring out what really happened or what I think really happened. Right. Uh, I know how deeply unsatisfying it is uh, to be told that the thing that you experienced wasn't what you thought it was. You know, uh, the, you know, for people like, for example, uh, there's a lot of people who've had ghost experiences or haunting type experiences um, right. who have nothing to show for it, except they were scared and something weird happened. And uh, how frustrating is that? You know, um, uh, so, you know, from the Bigfoot side, there's something about a Bigfoot sighting. Like you mentioned, uh, your friend uh, coming to tears. It's yep. a, it almost seems like a quasi religious experience sometimes. The when, the when people describe their their experiences uh, with seeing Bigfoot, even if it's just a partial sighting or a you know a you know a possible sighting. Um, yeah. and, well, I think in that instance, he was actually crapping his pants. But go well. On. It, <laughs> It wasn't so much the tears as the involuntary urination. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Depends. <laughs> so, yeah, but it, it puts us in an awkward position as skeptics to say, that's great. I'm glad you had that experience. If it was okay for you, I'm sorry if it wasn't. Right. Uh, but it, but to us, we need a body, right? You know, that, that that's it's a very unsatisfying answer on our side, um, even though it's the one we're stuck with. No, but it's, but I, you know, I agree as far as, you know, shared knowledge in the world. I mean, I am a huge fan of the scientific method. That's how we share things. Well, you know, because why? Because people can misperceive, people can lie, people can hallucinate. So if we're going to share something, you know, uh, in one sense, we should all be from Missouri, you know, uh, show it to me. So, because so often in the history of man, there have just been those instances, things were believed. For so let's just believe, well, why? well, you know, Joe Blow said it. Yeah, we are, the earth is at the center. The sun goes around us, dude. The priest said it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, always being, I guess, open to, you know, I guess certain to a degree in your own direct experience, but also being willing to, to question it and look at it from other possible perspectives. And if, if it still comes back, like, for example, with me, I, I literally have done that. And I still think that's what probably happened. Do I know it? Absolutely. Did I see a six foot tall thing standing directly in front of me? No. But I looked at the videotape immediately afterwards. I saw glowing red eyes. It was the two kids were very believable at the bottom of the hill. I find it hard to look at it as being a psychological phenomenon. I mean, I could be fooled just like anybody else. And it, but mm-hmm. I just don't think that was the case there. And frankly, I mean, you know, to, you know, to be honest, if I had been there with you, I probably would. I I probably would have thought the same thing. I mean, that would have been awesome. Can you? you know, I mean, there, that's the thing is that I, <laughs> I. It's not like I'm sitting back here saying, "Oh, that's crazy." No, I mean, I. You know, for all I know, I would have been, you know, blubbering like a like a you know schoolgirl, <laughs> along with it. I, I don't know, but I mean, that's the thing. Right. Unless you're in that situation, you don't know. Yeah, exactly. It's and it's like you know, and it must be really. Uh, frustrating, like Blake was saying. I mean, like, for example, UFOs, if in fact UFOs exist, and if there's a man and woman, you know, who, without a doubt, I mean, 
unless I mean again, how do you really know unless there's some you know? But th- it, this th- uh, some craft was right in front of them, right there. So something got out, and they, and they you know, you know. I think you. What's the lesson to be learned? You have to. You know, I think Ricky Nelson said it best in Garden Party. You can't please everyone. So you got to please yourself. Good night, everybody. <laughs> All right. Well, I think the sun's coming up and I still have to go to work. Great. <laughs> okay. Well, Scott, thank you for talking to us today. Hey, it was fun, man. It was, uh, yeah, it's one of those topics I never really get tired of uh, yakking about. And uh, it was uh, it was good, man. It was a lot of fun. And I think uh, one or both of you guys should uh, definitely come on. I think it would be awesome. Yeah, if you don't think it would be too much, I would be interested for sure. I bet you it could be entertaining for your listeners. So yeah, no, no, no. It would, dude. Believe me. I mean, we have actually. You know, we're. How would I characterize this? I mean, like Brian is that we're all well. Brian and I are admitted believers. Paul doesn't say he's a believer. I actually think he does believe, but uh, you know, he remains. But he does a good job on the show of. Of remaining pretty like on the fence and looking at it that way. We have a new guy who just came on, great guy, Sam Rich, like myself, uh, thinks these things probably exist, but thinks a lot of the evidence, you know, is pretty damn weak. Uh, so yeah, I'll talk to uh, Brian's kind of the main dude. Uh, you know, I mean, he runs the the recording and all that. So uh, yeah, I'll run it by him, and uh, I think it would be great. Okie doke. Well, thanks again for joining us, and... Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite oh. monster? Oh, my fuck... Oh, man, of all time? <laughs> yeah, whatever. First one that came to mind, the scariest still to this day, the scariest is uh, Lon Chaney Jr. is the Wolfman. Mm. Still the scariest. Classic. Favorite monster. Damn. Maybe the Wolfman. Hmm. It could be a pattern. Oh, okay. Hairy bipeds. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's not mm-hmm. a biped. It's a Wolfman. Um, Wolfman, that creature from the Black Lagoon. That's pretty creepy too. Yeah, I yeah. like the one from Monster Squad. Did you ever see that movie Monster Squad with the kids? It's like no. the, oh, you should watch it. It's, it's classic. It's hey, did a, you see Super? Have you seen Super Eight? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I just saw that today. That was a pretty good monster. Yeah, very cool monster. You know. Yeah. Uh, and I, they did a great job of capturing the seventies, didn't they? Yeah, I. You know, I kept. I was torn. I was like. I know that's what they were going for—a little homage to Spielbergism. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like let's have one more 1970 Spielberg film. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It was it was just so much. There was so much like, oh, here's a little bit of Jaws. Now they're throwing a little bit of Close Encounters in. Oh, and here comes ET. And it, you just see the the scenes that were influenced by the various Spielberg films. But, exactly. but was there any was there any Howard the Duck? Oh, oh God! No. Oh, no, wait, I changed oh. my answer. Howard the Duck's the scariest monster of all. Yeah. <laughs> And scene. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, Scott. Hey, guys. Hey, have a good uh, holiday season. Hey, yeah, you, you do the same. All right. All right. Take care. Oh, uh, squatching at Amazon.com. There you go. Oh, yeah, squatching. <laughs> Check it out. Okay. Take care. Monster Talk. Well, thanks to listening to this extra long episode of Monster Talk. On behalf of Ben Radford and Karen Stolzno and myself, Blake Smith, I want to give my deepest thanks for your continued support. If it weren't for all of you making yourselves known on Facebook, Twitter, and email, my wife probably wouldn't be so willing to let me put this show together. And in case this turns out to be the time she actually listens all the way through, I love you, honey. Thanks for helping me have the time to do this show. And thanks again for everyone who's contributed to the Transcription Project.
Your donations are really helping. And I'll be working with Skeptic Magazine's webmaster to build a producer page to give you fine folks a more lasting tribute. And speaking of Skeptic Magazine, Monster Talk is produced with their help. And if you like our show, you'll like their magazine. Over at Skeptic, I want to thank William Bull, the webmaster who slaves all day over a hot keyboard to make sure this show gets out to you listeners. And Daniel Loxton, the editor of Junior Skeptic, who gave this show a chance to flourish when it was only barely germinated. Monster Talk theme song is by Pete Stealing Monkeys. And Brian Thompson as the Krampus. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. Hello? Hello? I can't hear anything. Hold on. Hello? Still can't hear anything. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.